Welcome to this very special edition of Crosswalk. Today we're stepping away from our current series in Daniel to spend some time reflecting on the true meaning of the Easter season. You know, for many people, Easter is about spring break, bunnies, and baskets of candies. But for followers of Jesus, it's about something far more important. Easter commemorates, celebrates, and validates our faith. The empty tomb is as important to us as the cross. And for years, there have been those who have tried to explain away the empty tomb. But as we'll hear today, that's easier said than done. We're glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. I want to lead you to the cross. Some of you know that I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of old movies. John Wayne... Humphrey Bogart, Errol Flynn, those, those guys, they, the, the, they had a wide genre of movies they made, a wide spectrum, but, but there was just something about the, those movies, something about the black and white era that I think is, is fantastic. And I was thinking last night about uh, this film, it was not in black and white, it was, it was in the color era, but it's, uh, it, there's a bold statement in this, in this, in this film, it's, it's from the film uh, True Grit, John Wayne, uh, the film... Uh, for which he finally won an Oscar. And uh, there's this scene where uh, he rides out in, into the open, this clearing of this field. Y'all, y'all know the scene? Anybody seen True Grit? I'm not even going to ask how many of you have never seen True Grit because every time I ask somebody about some movie and they say, I've never seen that. It just blows my mind. But I'm not going to ask you. But there's this scene where, where uh, Rooster Cogburn, John Wayne's character, rides out into this field and he and at the other end of the field is uh, Ned Pepper, Lucky Ned Pepper, played by Robert Duvall, does a fantastic job. Uh, Lucky Ned Pepper and three other guys that are part of his gang. And uh, Rooster's there to, to, uh, to get Ned Pepper. And uh, so he says, he yells to across the field. Some of y'all seen this, right? Okay. <laughs> just, so, so he yells out across the field. You know, there's a little bit of dialogue. He says, Ned! I intend to see you dead in one minute, or see you hanged at Fort Smith at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will it be? And of course, if you've seen the film, you know that Ned comes back and responds with, I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. And if you've seen the, respo- uh, the, seen the film, you know what John Wayne's, what Rooster's response is <laughs> to it. But uh, what, what follows then is one, what I think one of the great uh, cinematic uh, moments. It only lasts for just a few brief seconds, but it's just awesome as they, they go at it and all this kind of stuff. But, but that's, that's, that, was, that was bold. When, I, mean, I know he's playing a character, but that's a bold statement to make, isn't it? Four on one. Bold. bold. I was thinking, there's been, there's been bold statements. There's been a lot of bold statements throughout history. I, one of our, our founding fathers, Patrick, Patrick Henry, said, give me liberty or give me death. That's bold. Right? Come on, all right. <laughs> Jimmy Durante said, uh, my wife has a slight speech impediment. Every once in a while, she stops to take a breath. <laughs> that's bold. Some, some people would say that's suicidal, but that's, that's bold. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Say it. Bold. That's bold, right? But is it true? Is he the one? That's the question we're going to address this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday. And I'll just be honest with you, I do this a lot of times on uh, Easter Sundays. And the reason I do is because we have more guests probably on Easter Sunday than almost any other day. And, and some of those guests come in here and they're, they're saying, you know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm looking at this Jesus stuff. I'm investigating this. I'm not sure where I am in this whole God thing. And I appreciate that. I appreciate people who will come out and say, well, let's, let's, just, let's just look at it. And so I understand that there are people here, uh, many of you who have already uh, made up your mind. I, I, yeah, I, I, he's, he's God. He did rise from the dead. He, he is the Savior of the Lord. I've given him my life. Then that may be where you are, but the others perhaps who are not. And so it's always kind of uh, uh, important for me to at least look at some of these ideas. And I, I want to look at that idea today. Jesus said, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the only one. That's bold. So the question is... Is he the one? We're going to look this morning at Acts chapter 5. 
If you have a Bible with you, uh, be it hard copy or digital copy or whatever, feel free to open it. But the text will also be up on the screen and you can follow along there as well. But Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42, is the account, and I'll tell some of it as we go, but it's, uh, it's the account of a conversation that a religious leader has with all the rest of the religious leaders, an argument that, that they kind of get into about whether they should kill the disciples, the apostles or not. And I don't want to steal all of my own thunder, so I'll save some of that for as I go. But Acts chapter 5, verse 33 through 42. I'm so glad that you're here today. And by the way, uh, if you don't know, if you're here and you have children, our, our, uh, I just want to say again, our, I know our C2 kids, they've got a great thing going on today. and They've worked very hard at that. They were a little disappointed because of the rain, but the rain has stopped, so I don't know if they will do some of it outside. But I just want you to know, uh, the children who are here at Cross Culture today will hear the message. Um, of the resurrection today, and I'm kind of excited about that. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. But when they heard this, they being the religious leaders, but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today, for the privilege of of getting to stand before your people and, uh, and proclaim your word. I am your messenger boy, and I am honored to have that title. Um, I appreciate each person's effort uh, to be here. And, um, Father, each of us may be in different places in our, our spiritual journey, but all of us need to look at and discuss some of these ideas today. Uh, because, I, as I often uh, say, it's important that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. And it's also important that we give opportunity for others to consider what we believe so that they too can make a decision about that, Father God. So today, uh, early people were here setting up, here in the auditorium, out in the cafe, uh, down the hall in the C2 Kids Ministry, out in the hallways here, setting up things uh, intended just to let people know about the ministries, the opportunities, uh, let people uh, have opportunity to have a cup of coffee or something to eat, to be able to have a place where their children can, uh, can be safe and can hear about the love of Christ. To have a place where, where beautiful music can be played and, and we can sing songs that proclaim your, your greatness and glorify your name. Where we can open your word and discuss it for just a little while, Lord God. We'll leave here in a few moments and we'll go back out into the world, back out into our busyness, back out into to everything that life uh, throws at us at times. But today is a special day because it is, a, it is the day that we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I'll say in a few moments, Father, that's a very, very important point for us. So Holy Spirit, uh, thank you for going before us and just opening our hearts and minds. May we be attentive today to the truth of your word. May you accomplish your purposes in each of our lives. And we ask it in the strong name of Christ. Amen few ideas that I want you to consider today when, when asking that question, is he the one? 
Here's the first idea that you need to keep in mind. You need to investigate to see if Jesus is the one. Now, I won't read all of 33 through 38 again because we just read that. But, but the first thing that needs to be done is to investigate to see if Jesus is the one. Here in Acts chapter 5, and beginning in verse 33, uh, we, we find this man named Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was, uh, he was a religious leader. He was uh, from a group that was known as the Pharisees, who, along with the Sadducees, were the two primary religious groups or parties uh, in Israel at that time. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a few doctrinal differences between the two of them, but they both saw their role as having the responsibility for, for the religious uh, teachings, the religious leadership of the nation of Israel. Both of them, Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, uh, neither one of them liked Jesus, and he didn't have much good to say about them either, because the religious leaders in Israel had distorted and corrupted the word of God. They had, they had created for the people of Israel a, a list of do's and don'ts. They had made this thing a ritual. They had made it a religion about God when it had always been God's intention that this be about a relationship with God. And they had corrupted that and they had distorted that and they had basically stolen that from the people. But in any event, Gamaliel is well-liked by the, by the people in general. He's well-liked by both parties and he's well-liked by the religious leaders of both parties. But let me tell you who wasn't well-liked by the religious leaders. The apostles. Those disciples, those original followers of Jesus. By the way, uh, the word apostle... Uh, basically means sent ones. And that's exactly what they were. Some of the last words that Jesus gave uh, to them was, now go and tell everybody that you can about who I am and what I have done for you. And that's exactly what they're doing. They were all over Jerusalem telling anybody that would listen to them that Jesus really was the Messiah. That would be the Hebrew word. That he really was the Christ. He really was the Savior of the world. That he, that he really was the one. They were going everywhere and telling people everything about that. They were, they were sharing that, that message of Christ. They were sharing this message about the, 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 the person he was, the life that he led, and, and what happened as a result of that. Remember, here in Acts chapter 5, it's only a short period of time, probably just a few months since the death and supposed resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And I say supposed not because I don't know for sure if it's true, but because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the it's the hinge pin, it's the linchpin of what we believe as followers of Christ. The the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what all of Christianity hangs on. I'll just be honest with you. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the cross doesn't really mean anything. Now, some of you may think, whoa, how, how can he talk that way about the cross? Well, let me just share with you what Paul said about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is worth nothing. And your faith is worth, what's that next word? Nothing. But now, wait a minute, he went to the cross, nothing. It's worth nothing. He wasn't raised. How about uh, 15 verse 17? And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith has nothing to it. But I believe he died on the cross. If he didn't rise from the dead, it has nothing to it. You're still guilty of your sins. How about verse 19 and 20? If our hope in Christ is for this life only, if we're just believing in him because he was a good guy and he had some good teachings and we should follow those teachings, if that's what this is all about, we should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. But Christ has truly been raised from the dead, the first one, and proof that those who sleep in death will also be raised. You see, that's why Easter is such a big deal for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, Easter celebrates and commemorates and validates our faith, our belief. And so, it, so it's all on that one 
element. It all depends on whether he actually rose from the dead or he did not. That's the message the disciples went everywhere spreading. He was the son of God. He came in the flesh, lived a perfect life, didn't sin, died on a cross and rose again on the third day. That's the message they were spreading and the people were listening and the religious leaders were steaming. They didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. We won't read it all, but if we backed up in verse uh, 17 of chapter 5, it says, but the high priest rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They couldn't stand it because people were listening to this message and they were, they were coming to faith in Christ. And that drove them crazy. And so they, uh, they, they have the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, they have them arrested and thrown in jail. But if we were to go back and read it in verse 19, an angel comes, springs them out of jail and says, hey, don't listen to them. Go and tell everybody the good news. They did. And when the religious leaders find out that the apostles are not in jail but are, in fact, right back out among the people, again, sharing this same message, they have them arrested again and brought to them. And in verse 28, catch what they say in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. You can just, you can just tell the frustration. And, the, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, the disciples basically tell the religious leaders what they can do with their order. Because in verse 30 and following, it says that they say, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I'm paraphrasing, but the disciples, the apostles basically say, hey guys, listen, you can do whatever you want. You can, you can arrest us. You can throw us in jail. You can threaten to kill us. But we're not going to shut up because we know this is true. We, we know it's true. We, we've seen him. We know he's alive. We know he's walking around. It's, we've got the proof and that's all we need. We know we're going to do it. We're just going to keep on talking. Well, if they were mad before, they are thoroughly ticked off now. Because, in verse 33, it says, But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. Cut to the quick is kind of an old phrase. It basically meant they were infuriated. They were just going to kill them right here and now. They're just so mad about this. And Gamaliel, Gamaliel said, Whoa, <laughs> now hold on, boys. Let, let's just think about this a minute. And his logic is brilliant. The two examples that Gamaliel raises, the two, the two guys that he brings up, both, apparently, at some point, claimed to be the Messiah, the one. Now, keep in mind that the Old Testament prophets had been saying for hundreds of years, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, he's coming. He's coming. So the people of Israel, they're looking for him. But they're looking for this guy that's going to come and set them free from Roman bondage. They're looking for this guy that's going to set them uh, free from, from, the, uh, from being oppressed They've got the wrong idea about what the Messiah, the Savior, is going to do when he comes. But still, they're looking for him, and they think that he's going to do this. And so, Gamaliel says, y'all remember that guy, Thaddeus, way back there? He, oh, he got a group of people following him. As soon as he, he, as soon as he got killed, that was the end of it. And then there was, let's see, who, what was that other guy? Oh, yeah, Judas of Galilee. You remember that guy? He got a group up, and they started following him for a while. But what happened? He got killed. That was the end of it. Gamaliel says, listen, guys. When this, when this leader guy came along, when he, when he got dead and stayed dead, the people that were following him got lost. The people that were following them lost hope in whatever it was that they were saying. They'd been saying, maybe, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the Messiah. Oh, he's dead. Eh. You see what Gamaliel is saying? If, if this thing is true, then it'll, we'll see it. it it'll, it'll be proved out. If it's not true, it'll come to nothing. But if it is true, then we could find ourselves fighting against God. And we don't want to be doing that. What he's saying is you, you, you have to investigate to see whether this Jesus is the one or if he is not the one. Now, let me just say this because uh, I know I've got to move along here uh, pretty well because I've got a good bit to say about this. But if you happen to be here and you say, well, I don't know. It's, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's not the one. Maybe, I, I don't know then I would say to you today, you have to investigate to see if he's the one or not. Because listen to me. Hey, listen, I know, I know all the TVs have been glued. This is, this is more than just trying to get your, your March Madness bracket right, okay? 
You get that one wrong and you just crumple up and throw it away. But this, what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen, is your eternal destiny. What we're talking about is where you will spend eternity. And we better get this one right. So, let's talk about how we investigate whether Jesus was the one. Um, as best as I can think, I've tried to think about this and maybe somebody else can, but as best as I can think, uh, there are uh, some questions that we need to ask. If you're here and you're saying, well, I don't know, maybe it's, there's some questions that we need to ask. And the first question that needs to be asked is this. What happened to the body? Now, this is not a new question. I bring it up every Easter um, because, as I said, and as the Apostle Paul substantiated, and as we looked at it a minute ago, Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's all right there. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, because listen, folks, there'd been plenty of other religions, plenty of other leaders, right? Historically, before and after Jesus. And there had been other religious leaders and have been other religious leaders who have been killed. That makes them a martyr. But Christianity claims that, that Jesus was killed and rose again, and that makes him the Savior, if it's true. So, what happened to the body? As far as I know, there are really only four possibilities as to what happened to the body. Now, let me say this. Uh, despite what some uh, skeptics or atheists may say to you today, the evidence, the empirical, the historical evidence that a Jesus of Nazareth lived 2,000 years ago, that he got a group of people began to follow him, that he got in trouble with the religious leaders, and that he was put to death on a cross by the Romans, that claim is as solid a claim as any event in all of ancient history. And I'll, I'll show you some of that in a few moments. But anybody with an ounce of integrity that actually looks at the historical evidence will say yes. I don't know about the resurrection thing, but he died, he, he did live, that guy was really alive, he really was put to death uh, outside of Jerusalem by uh, the Romans. It's fact. So, what happened to the body? As I said, there are, best I can tell, four possibilities. First possibility as to what happened to the Bible. He wasn't dead, but only passed out and walked out of the tomb. Uh, this is a theory that has been offered up, uh, certainly has tried to explain what happened to the body. Uh, although, I'll be honest with you, there, there are so many holes in this, in this possibility, so many holes in this view, uh, that I, I dare say there's very few people that would still hold uh, to this view. It was offered at one point, well, well maybe, maybe he didn't really, really die. He just passed out and he woke up and, and got out. But there's some problems with that. Uh, problem number one, uh, he was certified as dead by a Roman official. Uh, if you're familiar with the story, some, some of Jesus' followers asked for his body to be taken down off of the cross after he was dead. He, he asked, they asked for permission to take the body so they could prepare it for burial. And Pilate said, I want certification that he's actually dead before you can have his body. And so he sent someone, a Roman centurion, who had both the expertise and the authority to declare, yes, I've checked him, he's dead. So he was certified as dead. That's a problem with the whole idea that he just passed out and walked out. Second problem, a large stone was placed in front of the entrance to the tomb. Now that, that wasn't just for Jesus, it wasn't because he was special, they did that for everybody. Somebody died, they put a stone in front of it. Um, that's just the way it was. It was to keep wild animals from getting into the tomb. It was to, uh, in some sense, hopefully keep the smell from coming out. I'm sorry, but that's just, just the truth, just the way it was. And so a large stone was placed in front of the tomb. And so uh, if that were the case, and if Jesus didn't really die, and he just passed out and he revived and came to and came to his senses. And somehow after, after being uh, brutally beaten and, and nailed to a cross and hung there for hours, uh, that he somehow... Uh, woke up and came to his senses and pushed this rather large stone out of the way. I, I don't know. I'm just saying this is a problem. Third problem. Pilate put a detachment of Ro Roman soldiers at the tomb to guard it. Again, if you're familiar with the story, Jesus has been saying all along, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Now, everybody seemed to miss this. The disciples, it seemed to go over their head, seemed to go over everybody's head, Except the religious leaders, interestingly enough. They knew that Jesus had made that claim. 
Now, they didn't believe it, of course, but they were afraid that his disciples would steal the body and claim that. And I'll deal with that one in a moment. But they were afraid that the disciples would steal the body and claim that he had rose from the dead. And so the religious leaders asked Pilate to put a, a garrison of Roman soldiers under, under penalty of death if they failed their mission uh, to guard the tomb. So, again, Jesus somehow would have had to muster up the strength, move the stone out of the way, and sneak past this detachment of Roman soldiers I, I, all I'm saying is you put all that together and it's highly unlikely that Jesus just passed out, came back, uh, woke back up and, and then walked out of the tomb. Not very likely at all. Second possibility, he was dead and the body stayed in the tomb. Again, that is a possibility. He did. He stayed in the tomb. He's still there. We may be dust now, but he's still there. Whatever it is, he just—he never got up. He never got anywhere. He stayed in the tomb. Now, for that to be the case, that would mean that either the women who went to the tomb to finish uh, preparing Jesus' body for for being in the ground, they'd started this process when they pulled him down off the off the cross, began the preparation. Uh, but they had to stop because uh, Sabbath, what's called Sabbath for the Jews, began at sundown. And uh, the Jews, according to Jewish law, could not touch a dead body during Sabbath. And so they had to stop. They had to quit. They got as far as they could and they had to quit. But, so that means that either they lied about the tomb being empty because that was their testimony. They said, we, we went there three days later and, the, and he was gone. So either they lied about it, and I'll address that in a moment, uh, or they were mistaken, they were confused, and they went to the wrong tomb. And again, that has been offered as a possibility. They were grief-stricken, they were weeping and crying, they were upset, and, and they just got kind of disoriented and, and somehow ended up at a tomb that had not yet been filled, but they thought they were at the tomb of Jesus. That's a possibility. Problems with that possibility. Well, uh, for one thing, the women had taken part in carrying Jesus to the tomb three days earlier. They had, they had been part of the funeral procession, if you will, that had walked him to the very tomb where he was placed. They should have known exactly where that tomb was. Would have known exactly where that tomb was. Never mind the fact that, that he was the most important person in their life. And I would dare say they would know where he was. Uh, second problem, uh, this would be kind of an addendum to that first problem. Uh, Peter and John, who went to the tomb after the women, made the same mistake the women made and also went to the wrong tomb because they claimed the tomb they went to was empty too. So they, now somebody could say, well, they got their directions from women. So that's... I wouldn't say that, but some people might, might say that. But no, you, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that, that would mean Peter and John went to the wrong tomb as well. Third problem with this, and in my opinion, the most damaging uh, to this possibility, why didn't the religious leaders present the body? Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, when this whole resurrection rumor started circulating, and, and folks, it started circulating fast. I mean, listen, in months, in months there were thousands, maybe tens of thousands who have come to faith in him. So this thing is spreading like wildfire. And if the thing is spreading like wildfire, and if the whole time Jesus is dead and in the tomb... And if the religious leaders want to stop this whole Jesus movement thing, and trust me, they want it to stop this Jesus movement thing. If they wanted to stop it, all they had to do was go get the body and say, ta-da, he's dead. And it's over. At that point, it's over, folks. There is no Christianity. There is no faith in following Jesus because he's dead. And this is about a living Savior. So all they had to do was present the body. And they would, I'm telling you, I assure you, they would have been the first ones to present the body if he was dead. So that's the problem with the views that he was dead and is still in the tomb. Third possibility. He was dead and the disciples stole the body from the tomb. I mentioned this a moment ago. This has been offered up as a possibility. Uh, The problems are kind of some of the same ones that came up before. You can probably imagine them. Number one, the guards. You still got those pesky guards. Again, you got to understand, under sentence of death, if they fail at their mission, right? I mean, that's, that's just how it was. That somehow these, these guys got past the guards, rolled the stone out of the way really quietly, really quietly, and uh, got the body and got it out of there. 
So you got the guards. Second problem, and I, again, I will address this in a few minutes, but there, there's, a, there's a lack of motivation. There's no motivation for the disciples to do, and I'll talk about that in a few moments. But there's just a lack of motivation for this view. All right, that's, that's three views, right? Three possibilities of what happened to the body. Because we're asking the question, what happened to the body? There was a body. That's, there's, there was a body. What happened to the body? Fourth possibility. He was dead, came back to life, and walked out of the tomb. Now, this uh, possibility has a problem too for some people. Because this possibility, of the four that I've listed, this possibility is the only one that requires a supernatural act. Right? The other three can be explained naturally. Um, uh, he, he didn't really die, he woke up and went out, or somebody stole his body, or he's still there. Those are all natural explanations. But this, he was dead, came back to life and walked out of the tomb. This, ladies and gentlemen, requires a supernatural act. This requires a miraculous act. And so for, uh, for those that would consider themselves atheists, many of them would say the fourth option, the fourth possibility has to simply be dismissed out of hand. We, we can't even consider the fourth possibility. And the reason we cannot consider the fourth possibility is because there is no God and therefore there is no supernatural. Now, I want you to understand, can you see, can you see the fallacy in this argument? I mean, I, I know I'm, a, okay, I know which side I'm on, I'm, not, I'm a believer, but can you see the fallacy in this argument? It's a classic case of what's known as circular logic. There is no God, therefore there is no supernatural. And anything that looks supernatural can't possibly be supernatural because there is no God. Now, can I say this? That argument is true. This theory has a problem That argument is true if there is no God. If there is no God, then we got a problem with a supernatural act. But if there is God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God revealed in the Scriptures, then not only are supernatural, miraculous acts possible, they are to be expected. Because by very definition, God should be able to do miraculous things. So, of the four possibilities, I'm hurrying, of the four possibilities, the one that, that best deals with the historical and empirical evidence, and the one that best resolves the problems against that possibility or that theory, that should be the possibility that is the most logical, the most rational, and the most poss- possible. And I'm telling you, unless I am totally off the mark here, folks, the fourth possibility is the only one that fits that bill. The fourth possibility, now granted, if there is no God, then the fourth possibility is not a possibility. But I can't simply say out of hand, well, there is no God, so the fourth one couldn't have happened. I have to look at the evidence. I have to look at all the other possibilities. And like I said, I came up with four. If you can think of any more possibilities, but that's the four I can think of. The one that best answers... The situation, the circumstances, the historical evidence, and the problems, that one has to be the right one. Because there's only four. And as best I can tell, the fourth one is the only one that meets that criteria. He was dead, came back to life, and walked out of the tomb. Okay, so that's, that's, that's a question that you have to investigate. If you're going to investigate whether Jesus is the one, what happened to the body? Second question, very quickly. What happened to the disciples? Because listen to me, folks. There is no question that both men and women who are followers of Jesus were radically different after the resurrection, after the empty tomb, than they were before the empty tomb. They were radically, totally different. Now listen to me. I am not in any way uh, diminishing or uh, downplaying the significance of the cross. Without the cross, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we could never be forgiven. We could never have any hope of forgiveness and eternal life and the possibility of heaven. All of that would be gone. So I'm not diminishing the cross at all. But listen to me. After the cross, the disciples were still hiding in fear. After the cross, they were still cowering in the corner. They were still uh, uncertain of what in the world was going on. They were still unclear what what all this was about. They didn't seem to have any purpose. They seemed, I mean, you can read the accounts. But after the resurrection, totally different story. Something changed these guys. 
And listen, that remember, that's Gamaliel's argument. That's what he's saying. He says, if, if, if he's not alive, it won't matter. It's just going to die away. But if he's really alive, then, then we've got no business trying to fight against this thing. The disciples were radically different as a result of this. That's why they were willing to suffer. That's why they were willing to stand before uh, the, the religious leaders and just boldly say in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. We're not, we're not, we're not doing what you say. That's why they were willing to, uh, to suffer. Most of them died horrible deaths, by the way, those original apostles. That's why they were willing to walk away from everything and go to the far reaches of the earth as far as they could to share the message of Christ. Because they, they had investigated it. They had seen it. They had seen him walking around. They knew that he was alive and it had changed their lives dramatically. They weren't the same as a result of it. Okay, answer that question. What happened to the apostles? What determined? Now, some people have said, well, uh, Christianity really is just a religion. The way we know it today, it really was started by the apostles. Jesus was a good guy, good teachings, but when he got in trouble and got himself killed, the apostles said, hey, we don't want to see a good thing come to an end. Let's keep this thing going. And so they concocted the whole resurrection story uh, so that they could build this whole religion around it. Okay, all right. Back to the question. What happened to the disciples? The question is, does that explanation adequately explain what happened to them? Because I'm telling you, the answer is an emphatic no. There's no way that explains, if if they made this whole thing up, there's no way that explains their conduct, their sacrifice, what they did. Now, I can say this. It would explain it if they knew it was a lie uh, or they suspected that that it might not be true. They weren't sure if he'd really risen from the dead. It might explain it if they thought there was gain for this. They could become rich or they become famous or, or get some sort of gain from this. I mean, that's true, right? I mean, all of us have said it never ceases to amaze me what people will do to be rich and famous sometimes. But listen, these guys knew. They knew from the very beginning. Jesus has been telling them all along, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You follow me, it's going to be rough. It's not going to end well in this life for you. They knew it from the start. They knew where this thing was going. And yet they still did it. You've got to explain the change in, in these folks. Third uh, question to answer is, what happened to the world? Investigate what happened to the world. Because again, there's no question, the world post-Jesus looks very different from the world pre-Jesus. Oh, and by the way, the very calendar that the entire world uses is based on Jesus Christ. And I know you know this. B.C., before Christ. A.D. is a Latin phrase, Anna Domina. It simply means in the year of our Lord, from his birth on. But listen, um, in a very short period of time, as I said a minute ago, within months, thousands, maybe tens of thousands had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Within a hundred years, followers of Jesus had spread into Africa and Asia Minor and Europe with millions of followers. Now, I'm not saying because it had millions of followers that that makes it true. Because there are other religions that have millions of followers. But what I'm saying is the the growth was unprecedented. And the growth was based on, remember, keep this in mind. Authentic Christianity is never forced on anyone. It's always offered to people. I understand there have been some atrocities performed in the name of Christ by people who misused or, or abused or misunderstood what true Christianity was and what scriptures taught. So I'm not saying that everything that's been done in the name of Christ has been good. But what I'm saying is, is that the, the way this thing spread and the way it grew with people knowing that it was probably going to cost them to do it. And they're still signing up, if you will, left and right. Listen to me. More hospitals have been built. More orphanages have been opened. More wells have been dug. More humanitarian aid has been given out in the name of Christ than every other organization or cause put together in the history of the world. And that's a fact. More good has been done for the world because and under the name of Christ than anything else in the history of the world. The world is different as a result of Christ. You should investigate that and say, why is, why is this Jesus guy? Why is the Bible the number one best-selling book year after year? Why is the miniseries, the Bible, off the charts in its ratings and people watching it? Why, what is it about this that the world is still enamored with this? Many people in the world, are still willing to investigate this thing. You have to investigate it, folks. That's all I'm saying. We're going to move on. Let me say this to you. You have to investigate it because, again, everything is hanging in the balance for you on this. If you're you're not sure, you haven't made up your mind yet or whatever, everything is hanging in the balance for you. 
as far as eternity is concerned. Okay, investigate. Second, decide if Jesus is the one. Verse 39 and 40. What time is it? All right, 39 and 40, real quickly. But if it is of God, here's Gamaliel talking now, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. Verse 40, they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Gamaliel basically seems to have an open mind here. Gamaliel seems to be saying, listen, guys, uh, all we got to do is kind of wait and see what happens to this thing. And if he's dead, and I mean, they certainly knew he's dead. But if he stays dead, if, he, if he's actually still dead, then you don't got to worry about it. They're going to be scattered like the rest of them. It's not going to come to anything. Uh, forget about it. But if he's alive, you could be fighting against God. So cooler heads prevailed, and they decided not to kill them. But let me tell you what else they decided. They already decided that Jesus was not the Messiah. It didn't matter. They, they didn't care. They didn't care what evidence there was. They didn't care what, what came to be or whether the thing kept growing. They didn't care. They decided already that they weren't going to believe in Christ. Let me tell you how hard their hearts were. Look, look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28. While the women went to tell Jesus' followers, went to tell them, hey, he's alive. He rose from the dead. Some of the soldiers who had been guarding the tomb went into the city to tell the leading priests everything that had happened. Watch this. Then the priests met with the elders and made a plan. Well, what plan is there to make? The dude's alive. They offered the soldiers a large amount of money and said to them, tell the people that Jesus' followers came during the night and stole the body while you're asleep. And if the governor hears about this, because remember I tell you, they're under sentence of death. If the governor hears about this, uh, we'll, we'll satisfy him. We'll smooth it over for you and we'll save you from trouble. So the soldiers kept the money and did as they had been instructed. And that story is still spread among the people even uh, today. Do, do you get it? Do you get the hardness of their hearts? You might as well be knocking on wood. That's how hard their hearts are. Because when eyewitnesses come to, him, to them and say, dude's alive. We saw him, saw the stone rolled away, saw the angels, saw him out walking around. We're telling you, the dude's alive. They will not believe. Which just substantiates what I've always said for years. Oftentimes the problem that a person has is not really a head problem, it's a heart problem. It's the idea that I, I, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to bend my knee to God. I'm not, I'm not going to submit to his will for my life. I refuse to believe this. Now, there are people that have honest, intellectual questions or problems that, that they need answered. But oftentimes, people have simply decided. And you have to decide. You, you, can't, you can't ride the fence on this one. Well, I, you, got, you, got to de, you really got to decide. Let me, let me give you an exa- one example on this. I, I could give you dozens of these. I, I really could of, of people. But this is one of my favorites. Some of you heard me talk about him uh, before. Uh, Simon Greenleaf, was, uh, his official title was Dane Professor of Law, Harvard University. Um, uh, Simon Greenleaf was, was an unbeliever. He didn't believe in Christianity. As a matter of fact, the account I read said that he actually would make fun of his, of his Christian students in his class. When they come in his class, uh, law class, preparing to be lawyers, he would make, make fun of them. Uh, Greenleaf had written uh, kind of an uh, opus, monumental work on, uh, on, it was a three-volume work on how evidence is used and examined and uh, in, in, uh, utilized in a court of law. And so the Christian students challenged uh, Dr. Greenleaf to, to take his three-volume work and use it to examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you already know this. Simon Greenleaf became a believer in Jesus Christ as a result of that challenge. Here's what he said. Listen to what he said. The resurrection is one of the best established facts of history. Did you hear what he just said? The resurrection. Forget about Jesus was alive and Jesus died. I already told you that. That's really not even questionable, except by those who just don't want to examine, actually look at historical evidence. But, but he's not talking about that. He's saying the resurrection is one of the best established facts of history. This is a lawyer. I'm not, I'm not dissing on lawyers. I'm not saying the lawyers don't believe. But I'm saying this is a lawyer. This is... This is a guy who is an expert at, at judicial processes and, and evidence that is admissible in a court of law. And he says it is impossible. Look what he says. It is impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths that they had narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead and had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact. Simon Greenleaf says it, it's got to be true. Now, he didn't, he didn't say it was hard to understand. He didn't say that supernatural is hard to comprehend. But he said, it's got to be true. 
he, I, there's other stuff, but he basically goes on and says that, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most verifiable, substantiated events in all of ancient history based on facts that would be admissible in a court of law as professor of law at Harvard University. And he decided, Greenleaf decided, and he gave his life to Christ. Listen, I, let me just say this. Um, it's not, we can't verify this. There's, nothing, there's no scriptural support for this. Uh, but there is a tradition that's been passed down. There's a tradition within the church that Gamaliel investigated the claims of Christ and came to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of, of what he investigated and served, gave the rest of his life in service to the kingdom of God. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I know that you have to decide. Uh, C.S. Lewis, very famous uh, author and, and uh, lecturer and professor. C.S. Lewis kind of coined this phrase. I'm paraphrasing it. Uh, the quote is much longer, but C.S. Lewis basically says, you have to decide. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. And you got you to choose where you come down on that. He was, he, he was either lying about the whole thing, or he was crazy, as, as Lewis puts it, on par with a man who says he's a poached egg. Either he's, either he's a liar or he's crazy, or he's the Lord. And you, you got to choose. You got to decide. So, let me real quickly hear your options, and we'll get to the last one. Here are your options. Option number one, you can reject him. You, you can say, I don't care. I don't, I'm not interested. Don't want to know it. Don't want to bend my knee. Don't want to call Jesus my Lord. Uh, don't, not interested in the evidence. Just don't care. Reject it. You can do that. As best I understand Scripture, God will not force his salvation. He will not force his free gift on anyone. As I understand scripture. You can reject him. Second option. You can neglect him. You can, you can walk out of here saying. Well I you know. I don't know. Hey I'm, I'm young. I'm 15. I got my whole life. I'm going to live some first. Then I'll come to know Jesus. Or, you know, I, or I know. I, I'm just not sure about this. Don't know if it's what I want for my ride. It's, maybe it's good for you. I'm not sure if it's good. You, you can do that. You can neglect him. As long as you understand. As long as you understand. The risk that you take when you walk out of here. As long as you understand that salvation is not something you will simply decide one day. You just say, oh, I think I'll get saved today. I think I'll live my life to Christ today. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. The Spirit of God must move on you. And if you're here today and the Spirit of God is, is speaking something into your life and you're saying, well, I don't know what's going on. I'm telling you, you don't want to neglect him. Or the last option, of course, is you can accept him. You can say, I, I may not understand it all, but I know what the Spirit of God is doing in my life and I know this is what I need for my life now. And for eternity to come. Okay. One more uh, idea here today. Get on with it. If Jesus is the one. Verse 41 and and 42 again. uh, So they went on their way from the presence of the council. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Watch this. Verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Remember Gamaliel's argument. If he's dead... They'll, they'll scatter. It won't come to anything. But if he's not, you won't be able to shut him up. You won't be able to stop it. You'll be fighting against God himself in this thing. And that's exactly where they were. You're not going to stop us. You're not going to shut us up. I love verse 41. Verse 41, uh, they went on their way from the presence of the council. Rejo- Watch this. Rejoicing that they had considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That, that verse is inspiring to me. Can I tell you that? But it is also convicting to me. Because I'm telling you, when these guys got on with it. They, they, they left it all. They risked it all. They gave it all because they knew it was true. They knew that Christ really had lived a sinless life. They knew that he had gone to the cross as a payment for the sins of the whole world. They knew that they had placed him in the ground. They knew that three days later he came back to life. They talked to him. They saw him. Thomas put his finger in, his, in the hole in his, in his palm. They knew it was true. And they also knew. They also knew that somebody had to go tell the world that God had provided a way for his mercy to be poured out on the world. Look at this uh, passage in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, beginning, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's, that's what it is to, to confess, to believe that he is, to believe it in your heart. Not just in your head. We talked about that last week or week before last. Not just in your head, but in your heart in a way that changes you. You will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. 
And as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now watch this. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Can't do it. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Are your feet beautiful? Are your feet beautiful? They are. If you've made up your mind that you're not going to keep this to yourself. If you've made up your mind that you have to tell other people about it. You have to. Because their eternity hangs in the balance as well. And God has called us to go. Investigate it? Sure. Absolutely. Compare the evidence. Find truth? Absolutely. But then you have to decide. And if you've decided, if you've decided that Christ, he, he is it, He's my life, He's the one I'm going with, then get on with it. Get on with it. Give your whole life. Make Him the priority of your life. And make telling others the priority of your life. That's why we keep asking you to get out of your comfort zone and speak out to those around you, invite them to come and and hear the greatest story ever told. That's why this church, that's why Cross Culture Church will continue to to, to go out and to give out that message that God got up out of the tomb and came back to life as validation for the payment of our sins so that you and I could have eternal life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thanks, Pastor, for reminding us that our faith is built on some pretty concrete evidence. We hope today's message has been encouraging to you. But as Pastor Clay said, we also hope it's convicting to all of us. The good news of the empty tomb is too important to keep to ourselves. And we have to get on with the task of taking the message of Jesus to the world. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water. I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.